What's good, people? It's your boy Caesar here, and this is an episode of the Hybrid Club. Hope all is good. You know where to find us on the socials at the Hybrid Club, and you know where to find me at C Says C E A S E S A Y S. Transfer window time. Uh, there's today. There's tomorrow. A lot of work to be done. Um, obviously, everyone's in the same place with all the conversations. Brighton, Caicedo, you know, central midfielder. You know what impact will any incomes or incomings or lack thereof have for our chance at the title? So we've got to discuss all of that and more. Um, one of the things that I think is going through my mind at the moment is we all need to just take a breath and uh, think about this rationally and think about this from the context of how these things work. Right? Um, every player has their price. While football is an emotional business, it is a business. Um, at the at the very top, at the very height of it, ultimately, players are assets for clubs, both in terms of their on the fit on the pitch success and ambitions, but also in terms of financially, their financial assets. Um, so, every player has a price. If a club says a player is not for sale, what they're saying is we have not yet publicly put a price on this player that you have to pay to get them, right? Um, if a player has a release clause, they have a price. You pay the release clause, you get the player. We did it for Thomas Pye. Um, But, you know, just short of that, unless it's publicly stated or stated openly in private conversations, there is a price, it's just not stated. You know, if you own a house and someone walks up to you and says, we're going to pay you £10 million more than your house is worth, you're probably going to take the money. Doesn't mean you put it up for sale, right? So Caicedo has a price. Um, as things stand now, um, it sounds as though Brighton essentially um, have turned down a second offer, um, 65 plus 5 in add-ons, I think. Um, they're saying the player's staying. He's not for sale. Um, what that probably means is unless you pay an just an extraordinarily high fee he's going nowhere plus we need to find someone to replace him now of course um brighton have made a, a signing or at least it looks as though they've made a signing um already uh, i forget the player's name swedish midfielder i think um young talented raw you know someone who brighton will probably go on to sell for another 50 million in two years time but um you know, it's probably it's probably likely they're going to want someone else in. Maybe they go for Sanderberg or someone like that from Sheffield United, um, and then the deal becomes easier to do. But the reality is Brighton don't need to sell the balls in their court. Arsenal want the player. The player wants to move. They've counteracted any sort of toys out of the pram um, play that his agents have cooked up by sending him home until after the transfer window. So ultimately, you know, they can reintegrate him by saying, look, we know you had your head turned. Chin up go again in the summer and they can reintegrate him into the squad no harm no foul so personally my opinion is 85 ish 90 million probably gets it done um the question really is do arsenal want to pay that um any deal that could see Caicedo come to arsenal would be a record fee for arsenal and after what happened with nicola pepe i just don't know if the club are willing to break their transfer record for a player unless they are absolutely 100% certain that player is going to be top for them. Um, 
you know, if if Arsenal were willing to smash their transfer record for a player, they could have done it for Mudrick. They didn't. Um, you know, Shakhtar were very clear on what the price was. Chelsea went and paid the price and got the player. Arsenal weren't willing to do it. I I do think that, you know, in the same way Brighton have a price for a player, and if you want to play, you pay it. We did it with Trossard, we did it with Ben White. Um, happened with Chelsea and Kugurea. If you if you want to play, you pay the price. Um, I do think that at the same time, Arsenal have a maximum valuation on players and they won't go above it um, because once you start doing that, you know, you, you, you find yourself spending irresponsibly. You know, teams in the past, Leeds, Portsmouth, you name it, have found themselves in precarious financial positions by recklessly spending, you know. And we might sit here and look at transfers and look at the amount of money that goes around football and say 15 million here, 5 million there, 10 million there. But it's not an endless pit of money. The money has to come from somewhere. So, you know, we might say, oh, what's an extra 10 million? But literally at some point, there is no money, right? And if you're planning to get, um, you know, potentially go for a player like a Declan Rice in the summer, as is reported, that's going to be a big, you know, that's going to be a big transfer. It might be that we've got players who are going out the door and we need to replace them. Those are going to be transfer outlays. And don't forget that, you know, the club has been borrowing money from the owners for the past few seasons to play for some of the, you know, squad rebuild that we've seen. Bearing in mind, we have not had Champions League football for half a decade, right? Um, Then there was obviously the lack of finances coming in over the COVID period. The reality is that the owners are going to want their money back. You know, it, it wasn't a gift, the money that we got given. It was a loan. Let's get it clear. Um, so I do think that there are going to be question marks about exactly how much money um, Arsenal have to spend. And so maybe their valuation on players is tied to how much money they're willing to spend on that particular position, on that particular player to do what they want to do. So, you know, I do think it's it's going to be tricky. Um and, you know, I've heard people say, oh, we should just, why don't we sort of go out and play, you know, do money ball like Brighton does? Well, we did that with Tavares. We did that with Lukonga and we did that to Martinelli with mixed results. Martinelli, fantastic. Absolutely brilliant. Tavares looks like a player, struggle to adapt. Lukonga, people are slaughtering him because he's not doing as well in the six when really we all know he's probably an eight. So you're going to get mixed results if you go the money bag route, you know. Um, and we've done well, you know, 50 million for Ben White, a steal, you know. Was it 35 million for Erdegaard? A steal. What did we get? Saliba, 27 million. Bargain. So we've 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 paid good money for for players who other teams have maybe undervalued or underappreciated. And we've we've you know built a squad that could compete with the for the league, potentially. So, you know, as much as people want us to do that, oh, get the player that Brighton buy before Brighton buy them. Yeah, sure. But then when they struggle to adapt to the league straight away because they're not playing week in, week out like they would at Brighton, people are going to complain and say they're not good enough. So, you know, I don't know what you want the club to do in that situation. So I have some sympathy for for Eddie Arteta in that in that situation because let's make no mistake, you know, even if we got Caicedo, the drop between Partey and Caicedo I think would still be pretty significant. There aren't many, you know, however you feel about it in the situation, there aren't many midfielders who can do what Thomas Partey is doing currently. There just aren't. You know, there's there's a reason that, you know, two of our most experienced players play sort of in central positions because it's such a crucial role and you do need a certain level of maturity. 
not necessarily age, but certainly maturity. Um, and there's a certain, yeah, there's just a certain skill set, skill set that's required. There's a certain level of composure. Um, so I just, you know, I, I think it's a hard position to bring a player in and let's make no mistake. Any player that we bring in, um, the club are going to want them to push Partey, potentially be a replacement. Um, this isn't a backup, you know, we're not buying someone who is purely a backup, who has no chance of breaking into the first team and who's just there for cover. The club want to buy someone who could replace Partey, you know, however likely that seems. They want someone who could push for it. Or at least, you know, we can play in a slightly different way and achieve the same results. And it's a hard thing to do. It really is. So maybe the question isn't, you know, should we be paying the 80 million, 90 million for him, whatever it is. Maybe the question is... um, Maybe the question is, do we change how we look at value? You know, is it a case that actually we look at this player and we go, he's worth 50, 40, but we got to pay double that because we have the potential to win a title for the first time in 20 years. And that position going sideways will just derail our season off a cliff, you know, because that's the other thing to remember. Not having adequate cover at the six is something worse happens to Partey and you were to be unavailable. I don't think that would be a case of just, oh, we, you know, City will pip us to the title. I think it has a very drastic impact on our ability to play the football that's got us here. And if we can't play that football and we can't pivot to something equally effective, it will derail the season. Not just, it won't just be a case of we won't do as well. It will cause serious, 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 serious disruption. So maybe it's a case of how much is that position worth? And considering how much winning the league is worth, if you can do it, you know, is is it a case where you, you know, I mean, think about it. If you have a particular budget you're working to in the club are saying that's all you're getting for that player or for that position, you know, is it simply a case of being persuasive? Do Edo and Arteta have to say, look, you get me that player, I can win you the league. And they're, you know, essentially betting their jobs on it. You know, I'm not, I don't mean to be drastic, but you get what I mean. It's, is it a case of trying to convince the ownership that actually we just need to push the boat out just a little bit more? Um, or is it simply the case that actually the club have the money because they didn't they didn't go for Mudrick, right? Um, they didn't go for Mudrick. And so that's money that they would have otherwise spent, which they didn't spend. So maybe the money is simply just there and they just have a valuation for the player and they don't want to go above it. Is it a case that they just need to tame their mindset and say, you know, we, we, we're going to win the league and actually we're not paying what he's worth. We're paying what the market tells us we have to pay because we're the club at the top of the table and we're pushing for a league title and everyone knows it and it's position of need and everyone knows it. And so actually you're just going to have to pay more. Um, but there's other, there's other parts of this, right? Um, Brighton played Liverpool fantastic win in the FA Cup. Matoma with a brilliant winner. Um, Brighton showed they can win without him, you know? So that strengthens, you know, we might say, oh, um, you know, maybe that makes it easier for us then because, well, they've shown they can win without him. It makes them see that there's life post Caicedo. So actually maybe we can get a deal. From Brighton's perspective, it just means that, well, hey, great. It means we can win without him and we can win with him and we'll be even better with him. So no skin off our nose, whether he goes or he doesn't go. So you've got to meet our price, you know. Um, 
I yeah, I think where I'm at with it is it purely boils down to because the club have way more data and information than we have about this situation. Looking at him, I can see exactly why they want him. Um, I can see the promise there, still a little bit raw, but I can get why they want him. I think the thing that's going through my head is how much are they willing to pay for this player? How much do they want this pay, this player relative to the alternative options available? For example, you know they have to pay, I know, 85 million for Kaiseido, let's just say. Is their plan B a player they could buy for 40 million, but the drop off between Caicedo and that player is significant? Do you see what I mean? Is is that the consideration here? It's do we overpay for Caicedo because our plan B from Caicedo, you know, we can get him for half the price, but we're 60% less confident in their ability to do less confident in their ability to do the job at six than we are in Caicedo. So do we take that risk, save ourselves the 40 million, but we're not we're 50-50 on whether or not that player can do it. It's I'm I'm curious to see what the mathematics are in, in inside the club in terms of who they go for. Because of course, you know, we were ready to push the boat out for Mudrick, didn't, and spent 21 million on Trossard. So if money was the problem, we could have just gone for Trossard anyway, right? But we didn't because we had a number one target, couldn't get them, we pivoted. So if Kaiseido's the number one target. Who's the pivot to? Is it even a purchase? Is it, okay, let's get someone experienced on loan for six months? You know, the way Chelsea went for Felix, for example, is there a player, experienced, cultured central midfielder, isn't going to be terrible, isn't going to be amazing, but can just do a solid job, give you, you know, six out of tens, seven out of tens, nothing more, nothing less. And you convince the club that they're playing for to let you have them for six months for a high loan fee, just to give you cover to the end season when you rebuild your midfield. Is that something the club do? I feel like we're past that, but given the particular situation at six for Arsenal, you know, I've I've long since learned not to write anything off, off in football. Um, you know, even while this is being recorded, the situation could re- realistically change in the club, um, you know. So it's very fast, particularly when you get to this stage of the window, it's pretty fast paced. Um, so who knows what could happen in that time, really? Um, I would say that I'm very much a person who believes you don't overpay for players um, unless there is some reason that that overpayment is required. I think in this situation, um, with what's potentially on the table, I can understand overpaying for Caicedo, subjects who the alternative is. If you're telling me that we're spending all this time chasing Caicedo, but the plan B is almost as good, I don't see why we're wasting the time. Um, The only other reason to do it is because the player you're after has a release clause and you know you can trigger it and get that player in in half a day. You know, uh, alternatively, your plan B, you've already spoken to the club, the player, everyone's, you know, in agreement that this is a deal that can get done. So actually, you know, you're going to push for Caicedo for as long as possible because that's your first choice and your second choice knows that they're your second choice and it's just waiting to see if they get picked up. It, we don't know, you know. we a, a lot of us assume that the club are working on one deal and one deal only. You know, as you will know from whatever it is you do in your job, people can multitask. You can be doing more than one thing at a time. You can send an email, wait for a response and then send another email while you wait for another response. 
So it might not be that the club are just waiting on Caicedo. It could be that they are working on other options in case Caicedo doesn't work out. So we can't just assume it's this or nothing. It might be. You never know. It might be. But we can't just assume that's the case, right? Um, and let's, you know, let's look at this as well. The players in the dressing room are looking at the chance to do something special here. They will want reinforcements in to help them do that. Um, and the club have a responsibility to these players to not run them into the ground when something special's on the card. So they need to make sure the squad is equipped to do what it is the club wanted to do. But that being said, the players might be looking at it themselves. Look, you know, some of us are more versatile than we think. You know, I personally would not want to see Shaka at the six because of how Shaka looks when he's closer to his goal. And, um, you know, if he's being pressed, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I want to see that, but it's a different team now to to what it was when he was playing before. So actually, maybe, just maybe, you know, we're in a position where we're ball dominant and we can. Um, I'm still not sure about that, but let's see. Maybe you've got um, Zinchenko playing left back close to Shaka and their combination means that that gets Shaka out of hot water. Shaka certainly looks a bit more fleet-footed and, and lighter on his feet than he did previously, so maybe that could work. Maybe you put Zinchenko at the six, play Tierney. Um, a left back. Um, yeah, maybe you play uh, Shaka at the six, Zinchenko at the eight, and Tierney at left back. Who, who knows? Genuinely, I'm. I think ultimately, if we don't, um, if we don't bring someone in, I think that will be a problem. Uh, but equally, I think we have to have alternatives, even if it's a case of okay. The game plan is to try and go in front early and then we're going to move things around and play a bit more of a withdrawn game um, but protect the lead. I don't know. I don't want to see that and I don't think Arteta is going to want to pivot approach mid-season given it's worked so well. I think the club are just going to want to find a player who can come in and do as good a uh, good a good a job or as close to a job as party as possible. And I think that's the case, but realistically it's a situation we're going to need to resolve one way or the other soon enough, because between, you know, the age curve and everything else, party's availability is going to become a question mark at some point. Um, so we'll see. Um, we have an opportunity here. Let's, let's be, let's be responsible about this. Let's be um, adult about this. We have an opportunity here. Um, other teams are going to be in the process of rebuilding. We could see Chelsea are signing, you know, every player under the sun that they could possibly sign for every position, you know, bar the ones they need. Um, they are basically doing their rebuild in the space of in the space of twelve months. You know, they're not going to wait two, three years and and go through what we went through. They're just going to do it all. Um, United are well on their way. They're trusting Ten Hag, and he's getting results for them. Once he gets a few more players. Um, of the kind that he wants with the kind of resources that United have, you know, they'll be, I'm sure they'll be back. Um, who knows about Liverpool? Who genuinely, who knows, you know, a new midfielder, maybe they're right back to doing what they did on the clock before. Um, City, you see, you know, we know this season, they look a little bit different than what we're used to, but with their resources, they could be back to steamrolling everyone. I mean, we say this, they're five points off us right they they would be the team that if we weren't doing what we were doing 
City would be walking away with the title. Basically, if we weren't doing what we were doing, City would be, you know, 10 points clear of everyone. So, and on their way to their fifth title in six years. So we can't, we can't act like, particularly with Newcastle on the horizon, we can't act like we're going to get this chance again. We might do, but we can't act like we will. So we really have to embrace the chance that we have. And we've seen the club, you know, go out and sign Trossard, go out and sign Kivior. Um, it's clear that the club understand the chance they have, which is why they're pushing so hard. Um, so it's just a question of whether we get it done. I'm not, you know, as much as I am very, very eager for this transfer to go through so that we can have that player in because he looks incredibly talented. Um, I'm not, I'm also not stressing it because the thing that really we have to understand, and as fans, we really need to just understand this. You cannot sign a hundred million pound backup for every single position whenever someone gets injured or whenever you're worried about a player. It's not how it works. To win the title, your key players have to stay fit. It's that simple. If you, unless you are Manchester City, if your key players get injured, you're not winning the title. It's that simple. It's, it really is that simple. You know, City have had, you know, some of their defenders, Laporte and DS out um, for a little bit. That's affected them. You know, that you cannot win the title if your key players don't stay fit. So as much as we are desperate to not be short, because we have been short, we have, it's a fact, um, and we managed to get through it not having, you know, Jesus and obviously Reese Nelson got injured, so that backup was gone, and obviously not having Smith Rowe and his losing his goals. And, you know, we didn't have Zinchenko for half of the uh, start of the season. You know, we lost him for at least two months of the first four. So we've dealt with key injuries for a decent chunk of the season. And we're still doing well. But, you know, if we lost Shaka Erdogan and party, yeah, any team who loses their three midfielders at the same time isn't isn't going to challenge, you know. So I, ju I just think at some point we have to understand, yes, we need the cover, but you just need your, your best players to stay fit. And if they don't, you're not going to win the title. And it's kind of that simple. Um, and no amount of investment you can do will protect you from that unless you have nation-state money. And we do not have nation-state money. So I think at some point we have to understand that and kind of accept that and just see what happens with, with, with the starting eleven as it is now. Um, particularly as things can change, injuries, suspensions, things can change. So at some point you've got to say, okay, we're building a squad. We have the squad. Yes, um, part of it is an ideal, but we have what we have. The difference here is that with Elneny being injured and having, you know, consecutive long-term injuries, there really is no one at the six. The only player there really is Sambi, and we know that's not really his role, and he doesn't play well there because defensive scanning just isn't his isn't his strong suit. Um, Shaka is not a great option there, but as I say, you never know in a new system. Maybe he does all right there. I reckon Zinchenko could do it, but. You know, who knows? Really, maybe he loses something if that's if that's his role. I don't know. I st I still think he's got the intelligence and ability to do it, but you never know. Um, and it takes away from from what we have at left back, though. I think Tierney is is a really really good, um, a really really good left back, and I just think that it we look at Tierney differently because of how brilliant Zinchenko is in that role and how how brilliantly he plays. But Tierney is still a very very good left back who would get a move to a very very good team if he decides to leave us. So. Um, yeah, we've got options. We've got good players. We've survived a good chunk of the season, missing key players, for, you know, for chunks of this season. 
the only difference is compared to all those other positions, there really isn't. Um, you know, like if if Tierney had to play for two months at left back, I would say, barring you know questions about Tierney's fitness, I would say cool. You know, if you told me that a, a fit against Smith Rowe played instead of Martinelli, I would say cool. Um, that's the difference with the six. Any of the alternatives to play there instead of party would not be cool. And that's really the only difference. Um, so we'll see. Genuinely speaking, it for me, if the club think that he is the difference between winning the title and not, then it's a no-brainer. You pay the fee. You know, 15, 20 million overpay, provided the money's there, you pay the fee if you think he's the difference. Um, if it's a punt, then I think you move on and you move on to your next target. If, you know, subject to what Brian say, right? We know what Brighton are saying publicly. We know the pressure that's being applied publicly based on what Brighton are saying. But Brighton might be saying one thing publicly in terms of what they're briefing the press, and they might be saying something different to Arsenal in private. You know, we don't know. By all accounts, the reporting from sources that you could consider reputable would suggest that, you know, Brighton have been pretty clear on their stance. But that is what people are being briefed in, in private conversations between Brighton and Arsenal. It might be something different where they're saying... We are not selling him for what you are offering. If you want him, you have to go above and beyond. Maybe that's what they're saying. Maybe it's as simple as that, you know. So um, it'll be curious to see. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what the alternatives are. I don't know what's going to happen. Um, you know, we, it's clear we've brought some um, summer signings forward. Um, based on Champions League re revenue, but as I said, we're still going to have to pay back the the Cronkies in terms of the loans um, given to the clubs, and we don't know what the terms of those loans are. Um, I know some of the supporters groups have been asking questions about that to make sure that the club is, you know, not being put in a compromising position based on that. Um, but given the ownership structure of the club, you know, a lot of that information is confidential and, and you know, isn't in the public domain. So we're just going to have to see. For me personally, as I said, it's it's pretty simple from my perspective. Um, if we think he's the difference between winning the title and not, you pay the fee. Simple. Um, if you've got an alternative that you think can come in and do as good a role and they cost less money, then, you know, I, I don't see the point in overpaying drastically for that player, particularly if they're not quite what you want um, in terms of, what you'd want for that position for that price. I don't see the point in overpaying if there's an alternative. If you genuinely don't believe, if you believe the drop-off between Caicedo and the alternative is too much, I don't believe in, you know, I don't believe in paying less to get that 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 player if the drop-off is is ridiculous. Ultimately, if Caicedo is the guy, pay the fee if you've got it um, and if Brighton would be willing to accept it. But if there is an alternative and you think that alternative can do the job and you're not paying 80 million for them, then why bother so there are a lot of uh spinning plates and we'll just have to see what the club does um i'm looking forward to it we do have to consider of course the actual football um next game coming up is uh next weekend against everton um so i've been pretty consistent personally in saying that i and you know while i've spoken about arsenal and chasing a title and that kind of thing from my personal perspective uh the club really can't no that's a lie i can't think about the prospect of a quote-unquote title run until we get to about middle of feb ish fit middle to towards the end of feb and that's just because 
the sheer number of games, there's so much football to play until we get that many games in. I just, it doesn't make sense to me that that's what we're thinking. But I do think the club are thinking about a title run and should be thinking about a title run. But my brain can't get on board with the reality of it because, you know, a couple of injuries, suspensions, two losses, and, you know, that advantage is gone and you're right back in the thick of it. So for us to have this as a tangible reality that we can pursue, in my mind, we need a bit of a buffer. And that buffer requires us to keep some distance between us and City. So I'm looking at the next fixtures. The next fixtures take us um, through Feb and through March. So partway through this period would be where I'd start to look at it and go, okay, I could mentally engage with conversations of a title run. It's for me personally. I'm not talking about the club and the players. They should already be thinking about that, and they clearly are. Um, but I'm just talking about from my personal perspective. And our next games, our next 10 fixtures are Everton, Brentford, Manchester City, Villa, Leicester, Bournemouth. Uh, the first fixture in the Europa League. Then we go to Fulham. Um, the second fixture, the return leg of the Europa League, and then Palace. That will take us to to April. Um, so from my perspective, looking at those fixtures, you know, Everton, Brentford, City, Villa, Leicester. If you tell me we get to that game against Leicester and we have a five-point gap on City, then we can start to talk about a title run. You know, particularly if we get to the end of that 10-game run, then I'm talking we need to be favourites for the title by that point. Um, if we get to, you know, if we get to that Palace game, if we get to the 1st of April um, and we are seven points clear of C, we should be favourites for the title at that point. Um, but for now, there's just too much football to play and I've watched City go and win 12 games in a row. Um, so that's that's where I'm at with it. It's not about being pessimistic. It's not about fear or anything like that or even trying to protect my psyche. It's just I've seen teams chase down other teams with bigger leads than the ones we have and we have a game in hand but those points aren't on the board yet so until they are we're still only five points clear um i don't see any reason we don't beat sean dash's everton they've been abysmal this season i know it's it's frank lampard's everton that have been abysmal and they may get the new manager bounce and he may have them defending really really well and working really hard but for all this talk of we could potentially go out and win a title, if you can't beat Sean Dash's Everton, you have no business talking about that. That's no disrespect to Everton or Sean Dash. He's a, he's a really, really good manager, and I think he'll do really well there. And he's a shrewd, smart appointment for them. But we're talking about going for a league title. If you can't beat Everton, who are, what, second from bottom, then you've got no business having that conversation. Equally for Brighton, you, you have no business talking about it if you can't, you know, if you can't beat Brighton at home, why are you talking about the league? Um... So there are, you know, there are some decent fixtures in there, but, you know, other than the City one, they're all eminently winnable. And we saw City, and as I said before, there's nothing about City that I've seen following that FA Cup that makes me think they're not beatable. We were in second gear. They were in second gear. We heavily rotated. They had most of their sort of, I don't want to say starters because they've just got so many good players, but Pep's current trusted starters by the goalkeeper, pretty much they're all there. So... You know, they up their level, we up our level, but we play our typical starting eleven. I see no reason why we can't get a result there. I just, I see no reason. I'm not saying we will. I'm not saying it'll be easy. Nothing like that. But we have no reason to fear them. 
Um, no reason we can't beat Leicester or Bournemouth. Fulham been really good this year, but again, I, I see no reason we can't beat them. And Palace have been good. They work really hard. We have the quality to do it. So there may be an unsuspecting draw in there somewhere, um, but I, I see no reason we can't come out of that game with, you know, eight wins and a draw and maybe one loss to City if we're unlucky. But tell me you get eight wins and two draws in that run, I wouldn't be surprised. Tell me we get nine wins and one draw, I wouldn't be surprised. Um, but if we were dropping points in that run, I would be very, very, very surprised. And it would be quite disappointing, to be honest. But you never know. We'll see how it goes. Um, we do have a lot of games coming up in the next few months. That's a lot of minutes for the likes of Eddie, Shaka, Odegaard, Party. So rotation for the Europa League is required, which is why um, it was so good to see us rotate for the FA Cup to see kind of where players were at. It told you that, you know, Matt Turner's come along really nicely. Tierney and Tomiyasu still have a lot to, to offer. Um, Vieira has quality there, just needs to impose himself a little bit. Obviously, there are question marks about Lukonga, but I do think, you know, you play him in the Europa League at an eight, he can give you something there, even if it's just the ability to rotate, you know, Shaka out of the side to... to uh, protect his his legs and give Lokonga some minutes and who knows play him at the eight instead of a six he starts to impose himself a little bit you never know um hopefully Smith Rowe comes back and to be honest despite all the talk of um you know there's Reese Nelson of course to come back from injury as well but despite all the talk of transfers and signings and everything else I just really 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 want to see Gabriel Jesus and Emil Smith Rowe back on the pitch playing football that for me would just be amazing um not having Smith Rowe for most of this season, I just think has been so harsh for him. And as good as we've been, and we've been phenomenal, imagine having Smith Rowe to come off the bench in some of those other games. You know, we 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 could have really been putting some teams to the sword, some teams to the sword. Um, so really looking forward to seeing him back on the pitch, um, back fit and healthy. And Gabriel Jesus, the way he was playing at the start of this season was ridiculous. So having him back doing what he was doing would be great. And then knowing that we can bring on Eddie and he can do what he does is fantastic. And I do hope that with the minutes Eddie's got and what he's shown he can do, we won't just be bringing Eddie on for eight minutes in a game or 10 minutes a game. You know, we can bring him on with 20 minutes to go, 25 minutes to go and rest Jesus. You know, it doesn't have to be a, oh, I don't know if Eddie can, you know, we can trust him. We can start games with Eddie and bring on Jesus. We can start games with Jesus and bring on Eddie. Knowing that we have that that option, I think, means that we can manage uh, the the minutes of our attackers, plus with the likes of Trossard showing what he's capable of in, you know, granted a, a, a small sample size, but clearly a quality player. It's going to be an exciting second half of the season. It really is. If nothing else, we've got some potentially enjoyable football to watch. Um, I was just watching a comp on YouTube um, before, I think yesterday, uh, making dinner. And I was watching a comp of sort of Arsenal's attacking play the first half of the season. Not the goals and assists necessarily, just the attacking play. And genuinely, the movement, the rotations, the combinations, it was beautiful to watch. Chuck Smithrow running, uh, running onto balls. Chuck Jesus back in the side, linking things up the way he did, connecting with Martinelli the way he did. I'm just looking forward to us balling out of control. And as I said, given the transfer window and the tension of it, and will we or won't we sign this player or that player, I'm reminding myself of what I told myself at the start of this season. Just enjoy the football. Just enjoy the football. When it's this good, enjoy it. Because look at Liverpool, right? They went from being all conquering, one of the best teams in the world. Now look, mid-table. 
Look at Chelsea. A couple of seasons back, Champions of Europe. Champions of Europe. Now look at them. You know, they're having to go splurge like they've just won the lottery. Why? Because they bought a bunch of players that just weren't up to it, you know. Um, you never know how quickly life will come at you. So I'm just, I'm just trying to enjoy it. So whatever else happens, I hope people remember that transfers are a means to an end. It's about the football. It's about the club. It's about the people. Enjoy it. Don't get too sucked into the transfer and start losing your call if they don't buy your favorite player. It's about the football. There's still football to play. Still a great club. We're still doing phenomenally well. There's still some beautiful football to watch. So let's see what happens. Anyway, people, that's it for me. I just want to put one out today just to see how people are feeling, what people are thinking, get my thoughts out there. Um, get in touch. Let me know what you think. How are you feeling about the transfer window? Um, yeah, it's going to be an interesting one. Interesting few days. Um, I'll be back probably on Friday with a pod looking ahead to the Everton game. Until then, people, let's see what the window brings. Have a good one. Speak to you in a bit. In a bit. 